Hello and welcome to another edition of the Tigers Down Under. I'm your host, Alex, and with me this week, I have Brad. How are you, Brad? If we can, if, do we have Brad? We might I'm be here, having, mate, sorry. Oh, there Still we go. No, that's okay. Difficulty, but I'm, I'm here. That's okay. We've just got the, uh, the Western Australian delay, I think, going there. Yes. Um, <laughs> how are you, Brad? Good, mate. Good. You know, it, it was um, a disappointing uh, result last weekend, first loss of the season, um, I suppose, in some ways. And, and I guess it's always the way it's spun when these things happen is it's perhaps the reality check that we needed or the loss that we needed. Um, disappointing not to come away with the three points against a, a pretty impressive uh, Fleetwood Town side on the day. Um, but what did you make of the match? Um, well, look, I've only ended up watching the, the more extended highlights, to be honest, so that probably didn't have to put through myself as much pain as normal. But um, obviously that sort of result, initially, you sort of hearing that scoreline and then obviously reviewing it, you just feel gutted that you could be you know, clean sheet pre-game and concede four against the team you would normally expect to tip off. But I think that's going to be pretty sort of paramount with what we should expect this year there's going to be times where it just doesn't go our way and teams are really up for it thinking that if they beat us they're a real chance for finishing that top six and um we sort of have got a little bit of a target on our back after the first few mm. weeks and probably came crashing back to earth a bit yeah and, and i saw the um the point made which um i think was a really good one that especially being a game that was shown on sky joey barton being the uh uh, say big-headed manager that he is was probably quite keen to see his side perform well in front of the cameras and sort of show off how much of a brilliant manager he is so he would have had them really up for the game um, and it was look it was a really disappointing game it's probably the first time this season that I've seen um, shades of last season in terms of uh, the amount of effort that the sides put in where you know, uh, the title of this episode might be a little bit harsh to call them lazy, but I think there was a lot of displays out there that were very flat-footed and um, and sort of maybe the start that we've had had a few players putting expectations on the result already being in the bag. Um, I was, you know, I've been I've been a huge proponent of of Josh Emmanuel this season, and I think he's he's having a tremendous season. But and and it wasn't just his fault, but I think both him and Elder were caught up the field quite a few times during the game, um, especially in the first half, which thankfully didn't actually end up leading to goals. But the amount of space that we gave Fleetwood was just, uh, you know, it was just terrible. Um, and and that second half capitulation really did have echoes of last season where, um, you know, obviously the scoreline wasn't as bad as the Wigan performance, but when they got the third and then the fourth goal, you're sort of sitting there thinking, geez, when's this going to end? Because, they were just full of confidence and just running at us. And, and as you say, we are that sort of side that has a target on our back where sides will look to to make a statement against us if they, they sense a weakness in our side. Yeah, I mean, uh, again, I think it was one all at halftime. So yeah. clearly at halftime, Barton's probably telling them, hey, look, you guys have taken the league champions to 
one all at half time. Um, this is where you can really just throw it at them and see what sticks. Mm. And I mean, they came out and scored within a minute, I think it was, of the, the second half starting, um, and probably just got that real confidence to keep running. It did look like the ball got moved around pretty quick. I don't know if we looked slow or they just really counted quickly, but um, it seemed to be played, considering the conditions, at a pretty decent pace. But um, probably the one thing as well, just getting back to your point, I think we probably went into this game feeling like this is just three points. Yeah. And um, we just have to turn up. But we're going to find that against these sorts of teams, you know, playing away from home. Not that there's crowd support, let's say, but it's not our pitch, it's not our rooms, it's not our everything. These guys can't be comfortable. Yeah. No, absolutely. Um, and and you sort of mentioned there the the goal that we conceded after about a minute of the second half, and and unfortunately it was a, a pretty slack back pass from Honeyman, who who otherwise I thought had a reasonable game. He he got the goal to get us back into it in the first half, um, and and was and was putting in a lot of effort around the pitch. It was just a very unfortunate sort of circumstance, and 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 you see that sometimes from your centre mid, um, you know they'll get a quick throw in and they'll look to play the ball across to the defence and. Uh, he was just caught out by by a Fleetwood side that were, you know, um, on the front foot looking for an opportunity like that, and and it was really from there that that the game kind of slipped away from us. But there was a moment about ten minutes into the game where we really could have started on on the perfect on the perfect footing with uh, Lewis Potter having a goal ruled out for offside. It was a really marginal one, and and that's sort of two and two weeks now for him, where I've, I'd almost say that they were onside um, and. You know, if it was a Premier League game with VAR, then you kind of, you, you take it. But um, with the margins at this level and, and you know, generally speaking, the supposed advantage going to the attacking player, I think he'd find himself pretty unlucky to have no goals from those two chances. This one as well had, had shades of Giovanni on it. You know, Giovanni would have been pretty proud of it. I don't know if you've seen it, but, you know, taking a touch from that far out and then just curling it into the top corner away from the keeper was a pretty impressive finish for him. Yeah, look, it was. And I think probably, uh, it's, you know what it's like when we talk about these things before, I'm sort of normally a bit negative about conceding goals and these sorts of things. But, I mean, there's a lot about the fact that Fleetwood were up for it. And mm. in a lot of sense, I think, yeah, I, I do think that KLP's goal probably wasn't offside from what we saw. Um, that could turn things around pretty quickly. You know, all of a sudden, the result's not looking like one all at half time, but maybe we're ahead. And, um, but again, that's just the way it sort of works. But I, I think at least the quality of the finishing was very good, especially in yeah. those conditions. Yeah. And, and, and look, and credit needs to go where it's due as well. That uh, I thought Saunders for uh, Fleetwood was really impressive and on another day could have had a hat-trick. He, he was a real live wire for them. And, and it's sort of those displays at this level where it's it's almost which players are more hungry for it, more energetic and just sort of, um, you know, if, if you have any sense of sitting back or, or um, um, you know, not being at 100% as we were on the day, you're going to get exposed by those hungry players. Yeah, and, and I think probably that, you know, the, the momentum of the game obviously got taken away early in that second half, but that's probably the only time I felt like we really needed to sort of not panic, but you know, be on the back foot a bit. Um, yep. I still think we were good enough to score that second goal, if not a third, if not a fourth, and obviously it goes the other way. But I think probably at the moment, the only thing that I thought probably 
it was just a little bit of that tactical change in the second half that didn't quite add up a little bit to me. Um, and that was just more around the fact that uh, we sort of seemed to make that little tweak in the middle of the park and probably didn't need to at that point yeah. anyway. But that was when we were 2-1 down. It was almost like we reacted to being 2-1 down and started making a bit of a change where I think we should have just actually pushed on even further. Yeah, I thought it was interesting. I think it was it was batty off for Meyer um, was, the, was yes. that first change and yeah. it really weakened that central midfield because it meant that uh, at a guess, I, I think it was, was it even someone like Adelican or someone who dropped deeper um, or maybe it was Wilkes because we, we suddenly had, you know, four wingers on the pitch essentially because you had KLP, yeah. Adelican, Wilkes and Meyer um, and you lost that body in midfield and, and, and it just felt like they were able to play through us a lot easier. Yeah, and I think, I mean, if you look at how op- that game opened up, I think it's total reaction to what you were just saying about the way that that structure was for that last 20, 30 minutes. Um, and it did seem to be sort of like we, we really opened up and let them through. And I'd imagine if you're the back four and you're looking at the tape of that game, you'd be saying, okay, look, at half time, not great, but, you know, one goal down at half time. But then to concede three and a half uh, when we should have probably scored a few ourselves, um, yeah, wasn't wasn't great. And then, of course, that makes the back four and the keeper look a bit indifferent mm. as well. Mm. Um, uh, you know, I'm, I'm sort of glad that I haven't seen too much criticism of Ingram's game because I think, as you say, when you concede four goals in a game, it would be quite natural to start to sort of point fingers at the defence. But, well, I mean, and I've sort of I've sort of suggested that the fullbacks might be a little bit to blame, but I don't think Ingram in any way had a poor game. I thought he had a few really good saves and, and, and probably helped keep the score down a little bit, if anything. But uh, none of the goals really seemed to be something that he could have done much more about. Um, uh, you know, difficult to pick a, a sort of a 3-2-1 for best on field from a game where we lose 4-1, but we're going to certainly try. Um, I'll start with mine, Brad, and, and you know, it, it was genuinely quite difficult to find three players that I'd sort of give a pass mark to um, from that display. But I've gone with Doherty for my three votes just because I thought, you know, when you look at players and, and sort of Honeyman of a similar ilk of just at least putting that effort in and, and giving uh, giving everything on the pitch. I thought he he worked really well up and down the pitch and uh, was was sort of at the heart of all of our good chances and, and was sort of the one tracking back and, and helping the defence as much as possible as well. Um, I gave the two to, to KLP. I think, um, you know, outside of Wilkes's chance that led to Honeyman's goal, I thought KLP looked really dangerous. Um, we already talked about his offside goal as well, um, which could have turned the match in our direction as well quite early in the match. Um, and then, you know, as I said, uh, Wilkes for the one vote. I think Wilkes, by virtue of creating the chance that led to our first goal, I, I've sort of been a little bit harsher on Honeyman just because of his part he played in um, in them going ahead. Um, but, but yeah, it was a tough one to find three players for. Look, very mate. I mean, the only one I think, you know, Honeyman probably redeemed himself a little, but, of course, that really set the tempo in the second half too. Mm. To, to concede that way, and I think probably at the moment, um, I think we probably showed at times with a couple of blokes not in that starting eleven, where we're a bit more vulnerable. So I mean, KLP is just non-stop trying his backside off. Um, but yeah, I'd, I'd struggle to do a three-two-one to be honest. I think we'd be giving a one to just to, to give one, but I still think 
if, if we had more of that KLP in that second half, we don't. And it's not even skill. It's more just his endeavour and, and yeah. the, the, the way they – the best way to sum it up was even in the first half there was holes, but we filled them and we had 10 outfield players put a pressure on. But as soon as that second goal goes in at half time, after half time, we almost were like 10 guys moving around a jigsaw puzzle letting them walk through. The pressure yep. had just dropped off. And it may have even coincided with the substitutions. It did sort of feel like that with the initial substitution. But um, it's all about pressure, you know, doing the hard stuff. KLP just doesn't seem to stop. No, absolutely. And I think it's and part probably of the why reason why Smallwood's been so good as well, you know. Yeah. He's been doing that job beautifully, so. Yeah, and, and I think it's part of why we've been so frustrated before this season that KLP wasn't starting more games because he's always one that you knew was going to put 100% in and, and had his heart in the right place for the club. And um, you see whenever he's on the ball, he's looking to get forward and to attack. He's not, you know, passing sideways, passing backwards, uncertain what to do or, or losing possession. He, he's one that's always on the front foot and, and, and looking to do right by the club. Yeah, Definitely. Um, we'll, we'll look at, uh, to some of the off-field news from this week and um, surprise signing, uh, sort of out of the blue, uh, Henry Kumwenda signing from Leeds, uh, predominantly, I, I assume, as an under-23 signing. Um, he he was linked with Liverpool, I think, as recently as last year, but he's had a few injury issues and, and he's just signed his first permanent contract with the club. So good to see that the club's still st- sort of restocking our under-23 ranks. Um We've had a few gems come through from there in recent years and, and to sort of keep that going is always a really promising sign. Um, I suppose one of my concerns with the lockdown and everything associated with that was potentially funding for our academy was going to drop off and that we'd lose that um, Category 2 status and, and all that sort of thing. So promising to see that that there's still that interest and investment and focus from, from the club on, on the academy. Yeah, look, it is good, and I mean, I think we talked about this at the end of last season, is that uh, squad numbers and size of squad and depth of squad, and in this case youth, is what we haven't had at the club for a long time. Um, and by that I mean like bulk numbers. Uh, we can still go back to the start of last season, having a pretty limited squad before the first game and, and all this. So anything we can do at the moment that's putting potentially a 10-year player into the mix is is a good thing. And that's obviously how we're going to build our way up. Uh, irrespective of what happens this year, we're not going to end up back in the championship and surviving unless we build on um, that sort of growth avenue of what we've got. So I really like the idea of signing the younger players, um, especially seeing we've got a couple of good experienced um, hardheads in the team already. But if you look at back basically what happened yesterday, it probably shows we still don't have enough of them. Uh, sorry, yeah. no, so on the weekend. So um, <laughs> certainly at the moment, I love the fact that if someone's linked to Liverpool, it's a good start. Um, unfortunately, it's not a Harry Robertson, but Andrew Robertson, sorry, but um, uh, that'll never happen in a, in a short hurry. But I think at the moment, at least we've got a guy who wants to be there. Um, and who knows, if he's had some injury issues, he was obviously pretty good prior to that. Uh, and hopefully the back off back staff can get him sorted out. Definitely. And, and speaking of Liverpool, uh, some news that sort of broke uh, just before we came on online was uh, around Herbie Kane and, and the fact that Liverpool are looking to offload a couple of those players like Harry Wilson and, and Herbie Kane uh, and the potential that we're interested in, I presume, at first a loan deal and whether it was an, a loan deal with an option to buy, uh, not sure. But 
Um, obviously, it was a really, uh, really uh, big talent for us last season. It was a real key contributor in, in a couple of those games towards the end of last season. Had a few injury issues, um, but but one that we'd love to have back at the club, I presume. Oh, look, I would think so. Um, I mean, I would certainly say he was pretty highly rated amongst um, our supporters uh, well, the majority of the time. Um, and obviously, it's all going to come down to the price tag there and whether there is effectively a budget to do that sort of deal. Um, but I would be surprised if we weren't at least... At that. Well, actually, it's a probably a good judge of how serious we are because I think if we could sign a player like him, um, it would probably really show that everyone is aligned to doing this the way we hope the club is. Yeah, Because yeah. I think he, he's still one that probably hasn't passed all of the ticks of saying, yes, he could be a player that comes right up tables with us, but he's as close as we've seen. Yeah, no. Anyway. Definitely, and it would certainly lend uh, credence to the fact that you, you're starting to look at this squad, if, if we were to sign him as well, um, as, as being stronger than last season's squad, if we've sort of got the, the better contributors from last season as well as better depth and, and, and sort of a more well-rounded squad as well. So uh, he'd certainly be be a great addition um, if that was to happen. Um, lo- looking at the, the manager and, and that side of things, we sort of, uh, funnily enough, Mike and I talked last week about what would happen if we went the whole season undefeated and, and the fact that City fans' uh, thoughts on McCann wouldn't be um, necessarily swayed and, and sure enough, you know, a week later we've got our first loss uh, in the books as as Mike sort of worried last week that the last time he was on was before the Wigan defeat. So oh, no. uh, he's not se- he's not setting a great reputation for himself. But um, what, what what do you think it means for McGann's future with the club in, in the short term? Or, or it, you know, how important, uh, and we'll talk about the next two games in a little bit, but how important is it that the club really bounces back from this and, and doesn't let it become a trend this season? Um, look, it's it's obviously vital because, uh, and more so than even just um, the performance, is that if we honestly think we're a chance of getting out of the league, um, as we all hope we are, um, you can't afford to drop two. That's just the bottom line. Um, and if you look at any of the teams that have just missed out in recent years, they would pick, uh, and again, I've got no real sort of fact behind this only than looking at league tables, but we know how tight that top two yep. or top four or top six can be. Um, and realistically, you just uh, our mindset has to be we don't drop multiple games. We, we bounce back, we win. We're going to have a hiccup every now and then, and that might be seven, eight hiccups a season maximum, something like that. But that's enough to say we get it right most of the time. Um, and I think probably the only difference for me in previous weeks to the weekend was, sure, we rode our luck in the, in the previous win um, and, and we certainly have had chances this year where we could have got beat, but we didn't. We hung on, had a bit of luck. And I think a lot of that gets back to the grit and sort of determination of mainly the midfield, but that sort of collective middle of the park, not giving an inch type mentality. And then we've just been totally opened up. And look, maybe Barton... Don't obviously have lots of good things to say about him, but maybe he'd really done his homework too and said, hey, this is the way you can open these guys up. Um, and we just weren't good enough to react. But more importantly for McGann as well, we, we probably saw that you know, half the support base was starting to warm to the fact that, okay, he's the man for this year. Um, but then when you get exposed and embarrassed like you did on the weekend, you, you're probably letting... 
that those numbers slide a lot. Um, I still think he probably is the man for this year. The one thing I think the players don't deserve to have another manager challenge mid-year unless we desperately need to. Yeah. But McCann did probably confuse me a little bit with the way he made the substitutions in that second half. And that's the only thing he really had control over. Which was really interesting because I think in recent weeks in, in our wins, he's been a real credit in terms of when he's made his his substitutions. Um, I can think off the top of my head of Meyer coming on late in the game against Crewe, I think it was, to get the assist for Wilkes. And you even look at the fact that we had Wilkes starting as a centre-forward against Leeds in the Cup as sort of a masterstroke that, that got us the win in that game as well. So um, he, he's he's his tactics this season have surprised me to a large extent given the way that last season went with him. Um, so it's a surprise at how poor I thought his substitutions were in this game against Fleetwood. And I, I sort of wonder if he's panicked to an extent in the game um, when he's made that change of bringing Meyer on and sort of throwing another forward on to try and get a goal. Um, I, I saw a really interesting stat that I think... I, I don't know if he's he's never beaten Fleetwood or if Fleetwood just have a really good record against McGann or something like that. But um, he, he, they clearly have the wood over him at a few different clubs. So I wonder if, um, I'm not sure if, if, if Barden might have been the manager there for those previous encounters and therefore has a really good grasp on um, McGann's tactics and style and, and sort of... Um, just um, just just has a good read on him, as you say, and, and sort of knew how to counter him. But uh, it was a really disappointing game. And I think you're right. I think um, the players don't really need another managerial change mid-season if we can avoid it. But my worry to an extent is if we do have another defeat in our next game or if we kind of stumble over the next few games and pick up maybe three or four points over our next four or five games there will be mounting pressure and a lot of noise around um, the club to put pressure on the owners to make a move. We, we know the owners don't necessarily listen to the supporters at the best of times, so that might not mean much. But, um, look, it's going to be a really interesting couple of games coming up for McCann, uh, which we'll cover after we look at our Player of the Week. So we'll, we'll move on and talk about our Player of the Week, which is Josh Magenis. Um and just before we do that, I, I will give a shout out to um, the Wise Men Say podcast, who, who are a really great new podcast that's just started up in the last few weeks for city supporters. Um, it's a couple of lads over in Hull um, doing a really great podcast to listen to. And they have a feature each week where they're doing a, a whole city alphabet and they're sort of working through the alphabet and discussing players. Um, I think their episode that's recording today or tomorrow is going to be the letter E. So there's a few really good names in there. Um <laughs> Funnily enough, uh, Josh Emanuel has a similar story to, to Josh Magenis. So um, uh, looking at Magenis this week, but he was also one to join on a free from Bolton and ha- probably hasn't had as terrific a start to his City career as Emanuel has. But um, five goals across 33 league appearances for us between last season and this season, <laughs> along with two straight red cards as well. So um, a bit of a feisty character. Um an interesting fact that I, I picked up on him, um, which I'd, I think I'd heard before, but the fact that he, he was a goalkeeper all through his youth career up until I think the year before he turned pro and and then basically became a striker and, and turned professional as a striker. And, you know, you sort of, um, us being here in Australia with Aussie rules and, and, and other sports, you sort of get those players who will move around the pitch, but you don't see it as often in football and particularly um, with goalkeepers moving to outfield or vice versa. I mean, I, I wouldn't be able to think of a player who's gone from outfield to goalkeeper, but 
Um, still, going from goalkeeper to outfield is pretty rare as well. So um, an interesting move for him. But what, what, what have you made of his career at City so far and, and where, do you think, uh, where do you think he can improve? Um, well, I think he probably, um, and again, I'm no expert on necessarily the position he's, he's playing out now striker, but I do think that there's probably a lot there that can be said about maybe he's got a bit of height to him. He's reasonably quick and probably the only thing that's that's probably had an advantage for him anyway is he should be pretty experienced now after moving around a few different clubs, a few different setups, to be able to sort of know what's expected of that type of player, not just the goals, but obviously what else uh, he does. And I remember it was something we, we may have even talked about when he first signed or something that was uh, one of the fans um, at Bolton, I think it was, or even Charlton, somewhere where he was, they were actually talking about the fact that he, he does work well off the ball in position wise. So maybe that's part of his goalkeeping background and <laughs> being able to sort of view the pitch a different way, I'm not sure. Yeah. But, um, certainly has a bit of uh, something about him um, that, that can provide something. And I mean, certainly even the fact that he was a good start. Um, but I think probably the biggest thing that's going to be is he's going to obviously end up playing that second fiddle role a lot. And you know what it's like with strikers if they're not the number one at a club, um, whether that ego gets in the way. But I think he could be the sort of good, say, second part striker that we need. Well, and I, and I kind of find it strange um, looking at the fact that he's our only really recognised international in our book. So he was away this week yeah. with Northern Ireland on uh, international duty, which, uh, you know, um, I guess it is what it is. It's just sort of a, a funny one when you think that he's lining up in that starting 11 for them a lot of the time. And I think it was this international break or it might have been the one before the season where I saw a, um, saw a Northern Ireland scoreline flash up and, and they had the little symbol for a red card that they'd had someone sent off. And before even seeing who it was, I was like, I bet that's Magenith. <laughs> I bet that's Magenis, <laughs> and I checked it, and sure enough, it was. So he, he has a little bit of a reputation for that. And um, as somebody that's not not a stranger to cards on a football field, I can't be too critical of him for that. But uh, look, I mean, talking about positives about him, I, I thought it was really um, telling that uh, after the lockdown, when we came back for our fight to stay in the championship, there was the comment that even after being subbed off, he was the loudest voice on the sideline, sort of bollocking everyone and trying to get everyone organised. And, and like yeah. you say, that, that probably also comes back to his goalkeeper upbringing, that, you know, you're sort of used to having that voice and command of of, of the players on the pitch and where they should be running to and movement. So um, he's got that good leadership skill about him, which is something certainly that we needed last season with a young squad and, and probably still need this season, even with a few older players. Definitely. I think that's probably where he's going to really fit the bill. Yeah, and we're going to need plenty of leadership for these two games coming up. So we'll talk about the first of those now, which is against Rochdale this weekend. Um, I think it's the Saturday night, um, 2 a.m. slots these these days now for us over here in Oz. I guess a bit earlier for you, Brad. It would be, what, 11 p.m. for you, which isn't as as painful. Um, (laughs) I mean, the biggest talking point for Rochdale, I have to say, is the fact that Super Paul McShane's lining up for them. I I'd almost forgotten that he went there until I saw that in um, in preseason. But um, I was looking up the last few times that we played them, and, and I saw that we played them back in 2015 in the League Cup. And I have vague memories of that time because that was back when I think we had Greg Lua sort of 
I think he scored in two or three games in a row in, in the cup. Um, so he sort of started to pop up as he was almost the uh, the prototype Jared Bowen of, of, you know, the potential youngster coming through the academy ranks and being prolific, but didn't entirely work out for him. But looking at that lineup that we had in the League Cup against them, we had Jakubovic, Harry Maguire, Andy Robertson, Sam Klukas, Diami, Hernandez, amongst others being, you know, David Myler and, and things like that. So um, to be putting that out in a first or second round League Cup tie back in 2015, which would have been the year we were pushing to get back in the Premier League, um, makes you sort of look back pretty wistfully at the squad that we had at our disposal um, um, at those times. But, you know, other than that, we haven't played them since 2004 in uh, League One um, and we've beaten them the last three times we've played them. So um, not a whole lot else to say about them. They they do have the, the merit of having beaten Fleetwood this season, which is something that we haven't managed to achieve. So um, they've got that going for them and they've got McShane at centre-back. So, so what do you make of this game? Um, yeah, interestingly enough, I think it's one of those ones where obviously we, we should be walking into every game thinking we can beat everyone in the league. That's just the mindset we should have. But when you think about what happened on the weekend and taking things for granted, this is another team that's going to be up and about and really thinking that they can take something from us, even if it's just a point. Um, but probably the one thing that is still going to be pretty critical to how we behave on the pitch and how we actually get ourselves out of what we call last week's rut is that we can see the four and the best yeah. teams in the comp don't do that very rarely. Um, in this case, we've got a team here that I think may have only even scored four for the year to date. So yeah. you've got to be able to say these are the teams that even if it's 1-0, who cares? You just pick them off and, and move on to the next week and say, yep, that's where it's expected to be and that's where we're expected to be and don't expect anything else. W- would you make any changes to the side or would you sort of look at that 11 and say, this is your chance to respond and to bounce back? Or do you use it as the chance, for instance, to bring in Coyle for Emmanuel? Because we know we've always had... I mean, Coyle was probably brought in to be the first choice right back, but Emmanuel's been in such good form that he hasn't justified being dropped. And do you use this game as a chance to say to those players that you've had your chance, we've had this big defeat, so now you've got to prove yourself again the hard way? Um, but, you know, w- which way would you approach it? Um, look, I, th- I think you can make a pretty good argument for both both cases, but I think... The one thing that we've got to do is just try and keep things pretty settled. Um, and, yep. you know, you can think back of all the, you know, talk about glory days, whatever it may be, even other teams. The ones that are really, really well settled are the ones that get through the year without much fuss and end up getting promoted. And I still remember a couple of years where we've been promoted based on good defensive mindsets, but just happy to grind out results and not get too flashy and, you know, be a unit so to speak. Um, and really, we've got to sort of look at, okay, if that was the exposure we got last week, what was wrong with both the players and the selection of those players that opened us up? So I do think at the moment that I wouldn't necessarily be going and tipping five players out, but I do think that it may even be just a tactical way yep. to say, hang on a minute, don't just think you're the best team in the comp and walk out there and play a, a more aggressive midfield with guys attack, 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 but grind out 30 minutes. You know, especially you get hurt on that first goal all the time. That's something that was common last year. 
Yeah. We, we thought we'd, you know, forget the results. Conceding, we shouldn't concede anything in the first half. That should be our mindset. Um, we've got the quality to do something in the second half all the time, as long as we're not 2 1 down in the second half. Yeah, and I think that's it. I think against most sides in this division, we we will have the stronger bench. We will have the deeper squad. So you're quite right. I think if we're not conceding the first goal or if we're going in uh, in a strong position for the second half, we should be able to grind down or outrun any side in this division. So whether we use that mentality for the next few games just to get us back onto um, the sort of form that we were in, um, maybe that's the way we go about it. Um, how, how do you see this game panning out in that case? Do you see us getting back to winning ways? Uh, look, I think we, we will, yeah. I think there was probably some really good lessons um, and I imagine they've watched the tape a few times now and they would have seen what we also, we also at home. Um, but that was, yeah. it did really appear um, probably the best way to sum it up was disorganised. Yep. People looking right. at each other, wondering where that, how did that happen, where did this go? Like, it just... You know, the heads were wobbling. Um, mm. Whereas if you talk about being bonded and tight and you know, that cohesive unit, um, that's what we've got to work on more so than even the result this week. I think if you grounded out and you're all draw, but we were tight, you have to be taken. So, you know what, we build from there. Um, but yeah, I do feel sorry for KLP a bit as well because he just seemed to be. Even as a even up front, he seemed to be the most defensive in minor player we had because he was running yeah. and running and running. Whereas if the guys were just thinking a little bit more about what is the extra 10, 15 yards I can do, it just wouldn't have happened. Yeah, yeah. Fair enough. Um, I'm probably the same. I probably think we'll be able to scrape out a win. Um, you know, it, it will be alarm bells, though, if we are to concede first in this one. I think that will be... The uh, sort of the disaster scenario for me is if we concede in the first five minutes or so, I think that could be, um, you know, sort of a big moment in our season if that were to happen. So, you know, knock on wood, it doesn't. Knock on wood, we can get back to a clean sheet and, and a 1-0 win, even if it's just 1-0, um, just to get just to get the three points on the board and, yeah. and sort of stabilise stabilize things and then sort of... 3-1, Voices. 3-1, hmm? McShane to score at both ends. <laughs> Yeah, he can score right at the yeah, yeah, He can score from the corner at his end and put an own goal in for us as well. Uh, you know, tri- tribute to his first season with us, I guess, back yeah, in the day. Yeah, that's it. Um, well, speaking of former players, we also uh, face AF- AFC Wimbledon uh, midweek. It's the first round of uh, midweek league games uh, for the season. And, and we're coming up against a former City player managing them in Glenn Hodges, who, who was only with us for the one season back in 97, 98. Um, did manage four goals from 19 appearances, so not not too shabby. Um, but he's been manager at Wimbledon since September 19, uh, 2019, I should say, um, and, and got them to 20th last season. So he, he kept them up in League One, which is a, a tremendous achievement considering um, where they've come from as a club, as essentially a new um, version of Wimbledon. Um, and so it's the first time we've played AFC, AFC Wimbledon, but I don't think we've even played Wimbledon... Um, as it used to be uh, since the 80s. So um, a long time between drinks uh, in that sense. And thankfully for UK supporters, this is a home game. So it still keeps open the door of a, a ground tick possibility um, later in the season if fans are back in the grounds for that. Um, they've so- sort of been the opposite of Rochdale where they, they managed four goals in one game against Plymouth. Um, 
but they they also have the uh, the little badge that says we beat Fleetwood this season. So um, <laughs> between between both of our opponents this week, um, they've both achieved something that we haven't, which is a win against Fleetwood. Um, so they've got that going for them. But you know, I guess in a similar vein to Rochdale, I, I guess you'd look at this one as a as another one that, whilst it's potentially a tricky game, um, depending on the mentality of the players, it, it's really one that we should be putting away. Definitely, and I, and I think as well, probably they will probably feel a little bit up and about if they've got the points they have, um, considering where they finished. Um, but probably, again, the one thing they seem to do pretty well is they don't tend to concede bulk goals. I think they had one game that they slipped up. Yeah, that, that one against Plymouth that was 4-4, yeah, I think. Yeah, so that other than that, um, they're... Yeah. Results have been sort of like two, two, one type results, so nothing that's crazy. Um, but I do think that the focus just still needs to be on that same you know, process and principle of tight unit working yeah. hard. You know, all, all of those really common references that you need to make in these situations. Dust ourselves down. We'll go again. You know yeah, the old Brucey range. Again. Yeah. It's probably sort of a little boring to talk about, but that's that's the hard work that's got to be done. Yeah, and look, I think I th- I think um, not to overstate things, but I do really think that this week is is a pretty vital week for us, just in the context of um, twenty twenty as a whole, and, and and our form in the first half of the year. Um, to, to really bounce back hard from that defeat. I think the worrying thing for me is if our if our defeat to Fleetwood had been a 2-1 result or a 3-2 or, or so, you know, something like that, or even a 4-2 or a, or a 3-1 sort of thing, it, it's not quite as bad as, as the conceding of three goals in the second half and the way our heads just seemed to drop. Um, it was a really worrying sign that the demons from last season haven't really been eradicated, even though we've brought in a number of new players. So you had, you know, Ingram, Doherty, Emmanuel, um, uh, Adelican, um, Meyer on the pitch for most of the game, all players who weren't there last season or, or not starting last season. Um, it was sort of a sim- similar sort of display. So I think, as you say, it's learning the lessons from last week and really putting them into practice in, in these two games. And I think if it's, if it's a pair of 1-0 results or it's a 1-0 and a 1-1 even, I'd probably be pretty happy with that. I'd rather drop points in a close, scrappy game than, you know, another 5-0 or a big belting that really shows um, warning signs about our mentality for the season. Yeah, and that's that's got to match. The, the ambition's got to be there, doesn't it? You've got yeah. to have that whole mentality to say, well, that's how we're going to do it on our terms, um, irrespective of what anyone else says, but then not have that. Uh, I suppose the best way to describe it is collapse. Yeah. Yeah, because and that's and it's all right. Yeah, because then you know you have a couple more of those in the first couple of months of the season, and suddenly you're looking at, you know, you look at Sunderland and, and the fact that they've spent a couple of seasons down in League One now, and you look at Leeds back in the day spending a few seasons down here because it can seem reasonably easy league to get out of if you get off to a good start as we have, but if you start to stumble and 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 heads start to drop and doubts creep in, all of a sudden you find yourself mid table and you're thinking, you know are we going to get out of the division? So um, we have to capitalise on this start that we've had and, and get some points on the board. 
And you're right, man. And probably the best way to describe it, I mean, if we were thinking about, okay, who do we believe we're in comparisons with this year, Sunderland are a prime example of a club that we should be fighting to get out of the league with. Um, I don't think they've considered a goal before last week. Same as us. Yes. But they haven't exactly played what I would say is exciting football. I think they've only scored three goals for the season too. So... It's almost like you've just got to get that mentality of hard work grind so you don't have these 4-1 events. Yeah. The, questions, the questions pop up. Last week there was no real question other than, okay, what are the Alums doing? This week we've got questions over players, coaches, training methods, tactics, who knows what else, and that's where you just want that solidarity to come back into it. Yeah, and I think like we were saying before as well that – if you start to get that defensive structure and that and that mindset, then we can grind teams down because we do have a player-for-player player better squad than most sides in this division. So if you're going into a game in the last 10 minutes at nil-nil, it's maybe eight times out of 10, you'd think that we'd be coming away with the three points. You look at the game against Crew. I think we scored in, it must have been in the last 10 minutes. And for, for that exact reason, we were able to throw on Meyer, who's a quality player, uh, that someone like Crew wouldn't have at their disposal. So it, it's just got to become a grind. It's just got to become a fight and not giving up on games like we did against Fleetwood. Exactly right, mate. Giving up's a pretty good term, mate. It, we, yeah. we did. I don't believe players go out to obviously deliberately give up or whatever, but we we looked like a team that just thought we had it and then they took it away from us and we gave up chasing it. Well, hopefully we don't give up this weekend or, uh, or midweek next week, and hopefully we're back next week to discuss two fantastic victories. But until then, thank you for joining me today, Brad. Thanks for having me, mate. No problem. And, and thank you, everyone, for listening in. As always, follow us on Twitter or Facebook. Um, join up to the Patreon if you can, which would be fantastic if we can get some support through our Patreon. Um, otherwise, just share the, share the podcast around, drop us a comment or a like on YouTube. Um, to give us some support. It's always appreciated. Um, you know, it's fantastic having people watching along live when we do this each week. Um, You've been listening to the official Hull City Australia podcast. For more discussion, join us on Facebook in the Hull City AFC Australian Supporters Group or follow us on Twitter at Hull City AFC Oz. The music was created by Amber and Black. Going higher and higher There's no turning